I remember there was one instance where we were just, we were talking about social media and some of the different movements that were happening, some of the hashtags being used, Black Lives Matter, um, Mm. Black Girl Magic, Black Boy Joy, and someone said that they didn't see the purpose in those hashtags because it wasn't actually tied to a movement. Um, You know, for me, I use the hashtag Black Girl Magic all the time. Um, And so it is... Well, maybe there is not, there's not like a headquarters or whatever it might be that you can go to. Um, being able to use like those kinds of hashtags in many ways and for a lot of people, it's a form of activism. It's a yes. form of pride. It's a way of saying, I am here, I am black, and I am proud. I am beautiful, I am smart, I am strong. And so it's more than a hashtag. Um, you know, I think in a lot of ways that like those are, that's how people, that's how we're combating inequality. Even something as small as beginning to shift the perception and the way people of color are viewed and the way that we have been a seen ourselves. And in some instances have been forced to see ourselves as inferior for so long and just not allowing that to be the case anymore. You're listening to Christy Unedited, the podcast, and I'm your host, Christy Gray. As the name suggests, we do things unedited around here. You can expect to hear open and authentic conversations with a side of real talk. Join me as I explore a wide variety of topics within the realm of mind, body, and spirit. Thanks for listening. Sam and I met, oh, we met maybe two years ago now, Sam? Two years ago, because time is flying, so two uh, years ago. Oh my goodness, I can't believe how much time has passed already, and I was actually lucky enough to meet Sam when I was visiting New York, and I was actually doing some work with a beauty brand called Fresh. That was when we first had the opportunity to meet, and I just absolutely loved Sam's warmth and kindness and generosity the moment that I met her and our we've kind of we've cultivated a beautiful friendship I would say since then would you agree (laughs) yes I absolutely agree um and I think that this was just one of those examples of saying like everything happens on on purpose so you being able to come and us being able to meet it was just meant for us to cross paths a hundred percent. And look, I would love to give Sam, I'd love to give you this um, incredible introduction, but I'm going to pass over to you in a moment to introduce yourself because the conversation that we're about to have today is a conversation that I'm actually not schooled in. I'm going to learn as much from Sam today as probably everybody else that's listening because the conversation that we're going to have today is around equality. And before I jumped on our Cool today, I actually Googled the definition of equality, and equality is the state of being equal with status, rights, and opportunities. And it's interesting because I know that, Sam, we've had this conversation before Mm -hmm. when I saw you this year, and I've almost felt very ignorant to this conversation because I didn't necessarily... I suppose it wasn't on my radar um, of what inequality, like I knew that inequality was a thing, but I needed to 
have more information mm-hmm. on the subject. And I think when you're afraid about a conversation too, it means it's the conversation that you have to have. Yes. And this is why I wanted to talk with you today. Yes. And also like to your credit, I think instances of equality or inequality, they look very different in mm. different parts of the world, you know? So what we obviously are in two different continents. So what inequality looks like here um, is I'm sure different from the way that it's defined and categorized in Australia. Oh, a hundred percent. And I, I think it still happens here. I just think where I live, I'm not exposed to it mm-hmm. as to some other parts of the country. Whereas I know that I've been to the US like dozens of times and it just seems to be such a bigger issue there. And I suppose this is where I, you know, really wanted to have this conversation with you because I think it's an important one, no matter where you are in the world, is that we have to be open to learning about what actually is happening on a day-to-day basis and how we can bridge that gap so that if you don't know where to begin, at least you have the confidence and the courage to have the conversation. Absolutely. Agree a thousand percent. Amazing. Well, before we jump in and like I talk through all of these incredible elements of you know, because I've got a ton of questions I want to ask you today. I'd really like to start the conversation with a little bit about you so everybody can connect with you and, um, you know, find out who really Sam is and what you do. Yes, yes. So um, you touched on this already, but we met at Fresh, the skincare brand. Um, and since then, I have transitioned into a role for a nonprofit education organization that serves grades K through 12. Um, and I also volunteer with the NAACP. Shout out to them for doing incredible, incredible work um, and a mentoring program here in the U.S. called iMentor. And they really work to use relationships to empower students to succeed in school, succeed in life, or really give them the confidence and the motivation that it takes to continue their education um, and go on to graduate and so on and so forth. So um, in my past life, I was a content development manager, but now obviously in the education sector, sector, I spend a lot of time um, dealing with issues of equity and equality. I just completed my master's um, and the focus of my thesis was around diversity and inclusion and really digging into the experience of people of color, particularly African-Americans in the workplace. Um, Just really further affirming my belief in why this topic is so important and why it's a must that we have to have these kinds of discussions. So I know I had a bit of transition in my career, um, but I feel like that is, you know, that's what life is for, figuring out a way to just tie your different passions together. And I think if you can figure that out, um, you know, you're pretty lucky and to do something that speaks to your values and the core of who you are as a person. And so for me, one thing that has always just kind of been my guiding light, guiding compass for my career choices has always been social impact and equity, whether it was I worked for a publisher at one point, um, but even in beauty, you are constantly thinking about diversity and ways to just push it out there in the world. Um, And now, currently, I've just landed in a place where 
I'm just so focused on raising awareness around um, equity. And I just think the inequalities that exist within different systems, whether they're socially constructed, um, constructed by the government, whatever it might be, that's just my um, platform now. Wow, that's ama- like that's incredible. And there was something that you said that I want to touch on is that because you worked in the beauty industry, do you like there's been, I suppose, in the last year, especially with um, Rihanna launching Fenty Beauty and mm-hmm. really opening up the conversation to a wider audience, do you see those shifts happening in? like um, areas like beauty, like I've been seeing shifts, but I almost feel too that there's a long way to go. I So I agree with both of those statements. I feel like we are seeing the shift and people are realizing, yes, black is beautiful. Afro-Latina is beautiful um, and starting to see that. And I think more and more you start to see that come through, through brands, even just in terms of like the models that they cast for different campaigns they're working on, the influencers that they partner with. I feel like we definitely have seen a shift um, in terms of who brands are collaborating with, which I think is great because it's building this awareness and that people of color bring a lot to the table. I think especially to the beauty market, the dollars that we contribute is huge. Um, oh, just purchasing power. Yeah, just the purchasing power um, of people of color is beyond belief. And so I do think that we are starting to see the shift, but I do also agree that there is a long way to go. But again, it's not like there's this like magic wand that you can just zap and all of a sudden everything is looks diverse or feels that way. There is a long way to go, but I definitely do think that like the gate has been open. Mm, it's so interesting. Like I've even, I've listened to actually a few podcasts over the last 12 months um, within the beauty industry. One of the ones that stands out to me is, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of the brand or used it. It's called Carol's Daughter. Yes. I love Carol's ah. Daughter, natural hair care. Yeah, and it was so interesting to listen to her beautiful story of not only the hustle, Mm -hmm. but I love that she created something because it was like there was a gap in the market and nobody was actually meeting the needs of that consumer. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's so baffling to me that there's just this wide divide. Like, I don't know. I just, I don't understand. We're in like, we're about to embark on 2020 Mm -hmm. and there's still... There's still a long way for us to go. But I know that making a start is, well, you've got to take the first step, right? Yes, got to take the first step. And I feel like you are starting to see a lot of, especially the hair care business, you are starting to see a lot of like Black-owned brands emerge in which they're creating their own products for ethnic care, which I think is great because you have these like blossoming and booming businesses um, that are just coming to put their stake in the ground. So uh, gate cracked open, but we do have a long way to go. Yeah, absolutely. Look, and my premise today wasn't to talk about beauty, but I suppose I that's always where our welcome conversations on beauty. Yeah. <laughs> you and I both, absolutely. <laughs> um, but I suppose, like, what what was your journey, Sam, up until this point? Like, you feel like, um, I think you use the term, like, guiding star, which I just think is so beautiful, and you're working across um, nonprofits, volunteering, and mentoring as well. Like, that's obviously something that not only lights you up, but what really led you to that point? I 
A, what led me to that point is my ethnicity. I am African-American, um, and I'm very much proud of my blackness. Um, and I think just with the older that I have gotten, the more, I don't want to say in tune, because I have always been in tune, um, but I think just the more aware I personally have become on how it, what it's like, I guess, to be like black in America and what that feels like and what that looks like in different spaces. I think that that has become more apparent to me, especially as you navigate the workforce or as you navigate university life, you definitely start to feel more and more and build on your own experiences. So for me, I feel like that is what that's what has led me and that's what has just driven um, my passion for it. Oh, I absolutely love that. And like when you're doing something that you're you're not only really open to, but mm-hmm. you want to be able to give back and also impact change. Mm-hmm. Like that's just mm-hmm. like hand on heart. Like that's just truly incredible. And before our conversation started recording today, Sam and I were actually talking about gratitude. And I think like you know, we take things for granted so much, like, you know, we've got a roof over our heads, we have um, the ability to drink clean water. And, you know, those days where I'm like having first world problems because technology isn't working, like, I think about like me having a moment over that and then you're out in the world actually impacting change and that just like hand on heart for me, that just makes me so grateful that I can call you my friend. Oh my God. I mean, thank you for saying that. Um, but to me, it feels like, you know, it's not even supposed to be something that's like rude in the thank you, you know? Um, yeah. and I think one thing that's important for me to say, and just for the people that will listen to this is yes, I'm sitting here and I am able to really talk about how being black has really given me this strength, but I will say that it is not like that for everyone. And that is not necessarily the outcome that everyone arrives at, because like I said, there are so many experiences that lead up to it. So you do, you will come across people who I think maybe shy away from their blackness or they feel like they just want to abandon their culture because that just may seem like the easier way. So, Mm -hmm. and it's not to take anything away from people who feel that way, because like I said, there's so many experiences that can contribute to that outcome and that result. Um, but I think for me, I just, the negative and the positive experiences, when you mix it all together, it just has been even more affirming. Um, and it just has motivated me even more to lean into it. Mm, That's so interesting. I, it makes me really question why, like, I, I understand why somebody might not want to embrace the uniqueness um, maybe especially in the US as well, because I know that, you know, racism is still so prominent, especially key areas in the US as well. But it's almost like if you aren't embracing who you are, you're almost be hiding behind a veil of who you could really be. Does that make sense? Yes, it makes perfect sense. Um, it makes perfect sense. And I think sometimes and we can get a little bit more into this with examples, but I think for people, Mm. depending on different things, you know, there's something called code switching. And I've never heard of this. Yes. There's something called, yes. All right. This is a light bulb moment. Here we go. Um, But there's something called code switching in which a person of color may abandon their 
cultural and ethnic ties, maybe it's in the workplace, to match the culture of the majority. So I can give an example of what this might look like. So for me, when I first went to college, I went to a predominantly white institution. There were maybe a handful of black students. Um, And so there were some who felt like, you know, they just had to abandon their experiences. They had to abandon things that were culturally relevant to them. They wouldn't even bring those things to the table for conversation so that they could fit in or feel feel like they belong with the majority group that was there. And so that happens a lot. You see it happen a lot in the workplace where people just not feeling, I think, comfortable, sometimes mm-hmm. confident enough in being able to you know, talk about things that are culturally relevant to them. And like, hey, I get it. Um, but I do also know that that can cause conflict within oneself at the end of the day. So, you know, it's oh. code switching is a very real thing. It's a very hard thing. Um, and there are so many studies that show that it can be psychologically exhausting. Wow, that's that's interesting because I know that there's been times in my career that I've done something similar, maybe not from a skin color perspective, mm-hmm. but more so to to fit in. Like one of my first um, roles in the beauty industry, I was like that. Like I just wanted to fit in and fit that mold mm-hmm. all the time. And I have to say, it took me a long time to actually find my authentic voice, mm-hmm. which actually happened when I went to Sephora because Sephora gave me that platform to do mm-hmm. that. But I can totally see now like why you said that could impact you psychologically because mm-hmm. that is exactly – like I almost lost who I was like in mm-hmm. terms of my – my personality and my confidence, and it took a long time to regain that. So I can only ever imagine what that would be like on a larger scale. Yeah. Or something where you feel like you're segregated, right? Yeah, you feel like you're segregated. And, you know, it takes a lot of courage to come into work and I think introduce new ideas and new topics that may be foreign to the people around you because they don't look like you, because culturally they can't relate to what you're saying, what you're experiencing. So it does take a lot of courage to, I think, what sometimes may feel like rocking the boat. Um, But again, to your point in the beginning, a lot of times, all it takes, sometimes, it takes a little bit of understanding. Um, And I think people just feeling like, if you don't understand where a person is coming from, like from a cultural standpoint, that's okay. And yes, maybe it's a little uncomfortable, but these things are not supposed to be easy and it's not about comfort. Um, so, you know, it does, it takes a long time to, I think really just like muster up the strength to when you walk in the morning, if you, you know, if I want to talk to you on the news about a riot or a situation that has happened due to a police shooting, um, you know, you just, you should be able to do that. Mm, I think, yeah, it's having, and you know what? Like even these conversations, I think it's. All, I always, um, I always have this. I suppose overarching theme for anybody I interact with, and it's like stay curious. Mm-hmm. So some things that I might not understand, or I might not, I might want to know more about. I use that theme of be curious, stay curious, ask the big questions because mm-hmm. I think that that allows me to have this really neutral standpoint of 
wanting to know more. But then at the same time, I think as soon as you're not curious, that mm-hmm. is when you start to lean into judgment. And when you yes. judge something, it's when you don't understand it. Yes. I love that. Ask the big questions. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, I think asking the big questions can be really scary, but I don't know. This is just something that I like found in my learning and development career because I was always facilitating some form of question and you mm-hmm. just end up getting really good at asking questions. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's like interesting. It's like when you fine-tune a skill, you go, right, how can mm-hmm. I fine-tune that even more? And then the, some of the questions get bigger and bigger. And look, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to lie. There's been some conversations I've been in where I've definitely put my foot in it. But you only learn from trying, right? So yes, yeah, yes, yes, yes. Uh, so, Sam, can you share any key moments um, with us about what impacted you? Like, what impacted you or shaped you as a person growing up, or maybe even some of the experiences experiences that you've had moving into working in the sector? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, for me, I think it started when I was young and you know as a child I always say things from your childhood stick with you and they do very much inform who you become as an adult um but for me you know I was a young black girl um, I grew up in the South Bronx um in one of the poorer districts in the Bronx um and so with that you are automatically the school districts may not be the greatest. Um, so sometimes you have to go to your zone school and you might have some really amazing teachers and you might not have, you may have some teachers that are not that amazing um, and that invested in you. And so I just feel like with all of those things kind of working together, it can just, I don't want to say like put you in a bracket, but it can put you in a category um, yeah in which your opportunities are limited um, in terms of just like education, opportunities for growth. And so for me, I went to my uh, zone school, which was right around the corner from my house. And I always recall that my second grade teacher was not that friendly. Um, And now like as an adult and even talking through this with my mom and just looking back and getting some of her reflections, she, I don't think was a huge fan of children of color. I think she underestimated what was possible in education for us, maybe because historically of the things that have been seen. um, But you just didn't, she wasn't warm and you didn't feel that support. And she didn't put a lot of effort into us in which she would always hint all the time because she didn't think that we, that it would ever pay off or that it would ever amount to anything. Um, and so I feel like that was kind of the start of my reality. Um, I did one more year at that school and then thankfully I ended up at CPE, which still has my heart, um, Central Park East one. Um, but I think with this, this is really just like a good example of their, being because you know I went to school with other kids in the neighborhood and my neighborhood was filled with predominantly black and Hispanic kids and so I think that this is a good point to just say where just talk about the difference between equity and diversity which mm-hmm. I think that that gets tangled a lot um, especially oh my goodness, in, yes. in like, the corporate environment like, and you know, we all know we want to take surveys and go through training modules, sit through town halls, 
all of those kinds of things. Um, but the presence of diversity does not necessarily mean that equity is present nor sustainable. Um, and I think that while the two are related, many times people think, okay, well, yes, we have a diverse group of people here, but do each and every one of those people have an opportunity to grow? Do each and, are each and every one of those people heard? Or are they just there to be these wallflowers? Um, so equity really is people with diverse backgrounds, whether it's ethnicity, culturally, racially, being able to exist and feel comfortable and succeed in these spaces. Um, so those are the difference between the two. I feel like it gets jumbled a lot, which drives me crazy, um, but it's understandable. And I think that as people just kind of like weigh in is do I work in a place that is actually equitable? Am I doing my part to promote equity? That is what you have to think about is the difference between the two. So it's not just like good enough to hire. Can, are we seeing different people at the leadership level? Do they have different cultural and ethnic backgrounds? Wow. Do you know what? I've actually never thought about it like that. Like I know both terms, but I've mm -hmm. never actually taken a moment to sit and digest. And when you were actually talking about that, I was like, that's like a, that's a pain point for me as well, because they are so different. And it doesn't mean you're giving equity to a group of people just because there's a diverse group of people. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So interesting. It's so true. It's so true. Um, and I think, you know, all of this just ties into, so these are the things, and kind of going back to your original question, but these are the kinds of things in knowing that you may end up in spaces that weren't necessarily designed for you to grow and for you to succeed. These things, I think, just like the systematic framework of it all is why as a child, you are taught, you know, you have to work harder, you have to be smarter, you have to do this, you have to do that. And not because of you as like a human being being taught like, yes, these are the things that you should do, these are the things that you should be, but as a person of color, and for me as a black woman, then a black girl, these are the things that you are taught because you do know that in society, you will end up in places where you're kind of counted out of the race because you are black, or you'll end up in a work environment where you aren't necessarily given like equal opportunities or even seen or heard equally because you are black. So I feel like all of those kinds of things just tie into, it's like your child, your child meets your adult reality. And then you see the two mesh together as you move throughout the world. Mm. Do you think like it's there's layers to it in terms of how it shows up today, like politically, um, it's generational, I would imagine as well. There's still probably a lot of trauma that needs to be healed yes. from, I would imagine, generations back. And then that's why it's still a topic of discussion in 2019. I was about to say 2020. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, three more, three more months um, will be 2020. But no, I absolutely do think that there are layers to it. And yeah. 
there's so many different ways you can go with it. You, you can touch on the generational aspect, um, which obviously it dates back to slavery. It dates back to the civil rights movement. It dates back to the progression of people of color over time in each of those moments that have marked these different milestones. Um, and even if you want to look at it from a political standpoint, you can do that also. Um, and seeing what I think, well, unfortunately not what's happening now with the current office. Mm. Um, but even in seeing before this, when Barack Obama, a black man, was made president, was elected president, um, and just like knowing all that it took to lead up to that, I think knowing sometimes the diversity or lack thereof that you see in terms of people who hold political positions. There oh. is absolutely a layer there. I think when it comes to education, there is a layer in which people of color are systematically trapped, I think, at lower education levels because of the opportunities that are afforded to them. And because of sometimes it's just like purely economic status, right? So in these things... I think sometimes race, obviously, it's very complex, but I think when you think of how, how it's evolved and more importantly, where it stemmed from, there are certain components that are actually not that complex, right? When you go back mm. and you look at just, I want to kind of want to call it a domino effect of the, how we got to where we are now. So let's say, so you, we can use myself for an example. So let's say okay. you... I grew up in the Bronx. My family was very, very, very far from wealthy. Obviously, we don't have a lot of money, which means that can't afford for children to go to a private school. So you go to your local school, which sometimes maybe they have a poor graduation rate. They could also have a very low literacy rate. There are different things that go into that. But because already you are in a certain economic bracket, that's kind of like a one strike um, against you, which I hate to use that term. Um, yeah. just kind of just like this context. Yeah. This like one thing, um, that already you are up against. So as you continue to go throughout the education system until you get to 12th grade, you could find that perhaps the economic status and well-being of your family didn't change. So now you are in jeopardy of maybe not being able to attend college. All right. And even if financially you can't afford it, maybe perhaps the education level just isn't there in which a child feels confident enough to continue their education. And so now in the world that we live in, while there are many, many pathways for people to walk, we know that so much value and emphasis is placed on having a degree. Mm. So if you don't have a degree, you, it is likely that you may not surpass a certain income or you may not have certain opportunities that are open to you and you, so only certain jobs may be available to you. So I feel like when you kind of think of this cycle in a way, it just shows the way that all these things just ladder up, uh, ladder up to a bigger issue, but then how it also just contributes to the problems surrounding equity. It's interesting, like, 
I just want to point out for everybody listening that slavery was less than 100 years ago. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, And that just baffles me that it really wasn't that, like it's like literally one to two generations tops. It, it really was <laughs> not that long ago. And even for, you know, for me, my family is from South Carolina and my family, we are known for a fact descendants of slaves and we are only five generations out from slavery. That's, I'm sorry, that's bananas. You just gave me goosebumps. I was like, I, I, and I think that, you know, today, because the world is at a very, like we travel at a very fast pace. You know, mm-hmm. we live in a world of instant gratification that I think sometimes you just have to sit and think about some of the things that have happened. It actually mm-hmm. really isn't that long, long ago. And mm-hmm. it's, and I think this is why that there is the issues that we do have today because, A, it wasn't that long ago, but, B, I love that you touched on – it's almost like – I think you use the term, like, domino effect, and I absolutely mm-hmm. agree, is, like, when you aren't given the same opportunities as others or there's no way for certain families specifically to be able to be taken out of that environment, how can – the people in that environment thrive if they're not Mm -hmm. given the same resources as everybody else. It just Mm -hmm. makes, like, again, like, and that's probably why in some of these key areas, whether it's in New York City or other areas in the country as well, like, and I know we have areas in Australia as well, is that if there's no resources given to the people there, then how can they ever... um, I suppose, master or even just come out on top on the issues Mm -hmm. that are occurring. Mm -hmm. And even in cases, and I know we're like using this word like given, but even in cases where, you know, you do see people who they are working hard, they are working for it and they are doing all they can. And yet they are still just almost trapped. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, you just have to think about how confining that must feel, how discouraging that must feel. Um, And there's just... There's so much to it. Oh, I know. This is a com- this is a topic for another day. But I mm-hmm. was even um, reading an article the other day from a, after a podcast that I listened to, and like a lot of the um, people that are in prison, especially, <laughs> and some of the like I, I'm laughing, but I shouldn't be. But it just actually baffles me. Like, uh, so many African American men are locked up in the system mm-hmm. for the most stupidest things. Like, I'm saying, like being caught selling marijuana or mm-hmm. whatever. And then you've got um, other cases like, um, oh. I can't remember her name. You might be able to fill the gap, Sam, of that beautiful woman that just um, wrote a book and she was actually, she was sexually assaulted at Harvard University by a white male and he, um, she was just on Oprah's Super Soul Sundays, I think last week I was listening to it. And um, yeah, I can't remember her name and um, she, I'll have to leave the link to the episode in the show notes. So if anybody's interested to listen to it, but um, it's, incredibly incredible because the sense is he got six months in prison. He actually only Mm -hmm. served three, but you've got African-American men that have been caught selling marijuana or other things that are like, oh, like low, like what what is it called? It's like a low, um, I don't know the correct terminology, but that's that's, that's equity. That's, there's no, that's inequality. There's no, Oh, it just doesn't make sense to me. It's it's inequality, and I think the justice system, and this is a whole 
other conversation, but really mm-hmm. just the justice system, the way that it is set up, it is failing people, particularly black men of color. The repercussions oh. are so much worse. The consequences are so much worse. And even if you look at, and you know, of course we hear the stories that are able to garner mainstream coverage, but think of all the stories that we don't hear. Oh, and it's and the, the scary amount of people thing. that are, and that is the scary thing. But for a lot of the stories that we do hear, we are seeing the sentencing when, in terms of when it comes to crimes that have impacted people of color, the sentencing much less, much yes. less. And you know, and, and for all for a variety of crimes, whether it's murder, sexual assault, robbery. The sentencing is less. And so, you know, it's just heartbreaking. Um, and again, that's a whole separate conversation. Mm. Um, it just, it, it just, it, you know, it is, it makes your heart drop. Well, I think it paints a picture. It's like mm-hmm. a, an exa- a really clear example of what is actually happening in the world today. And it's mm-hmm. like, and it's hard to think where to begin when. A lot of that, it's like, <laughs> it's just inbred into some people and some societies. And it's just like, it's like, how I don't know about you, but I, I sometimes think it's like, how can we even make traction in the mm-hmm. world today when some of it's just so inbred that mm-hmm. it's like, how do, how do you even? It's true. Like, like where begin? do you even begin? Wow. Um, and, you know, I feel like these, what we're discussing, these are really big examples, right? But there are mm. so many I don't want to call them smaller examples because in context they are not, but there are so many other like microaggressions that people of color have to encounter in the day to day that don't get discussed and don't are not talked about that really just like ladder up to these same issues of inequality and a lack of equity. And there can be things in you know, depending on the space where you work, they can be things as simple as like you're sitting in a meeting and you feel like you don't have a voice or you say something and you're ignored because possibly in the minds of the people sitting in the room, because you are a person of color, your opinion is not valid. You know, your ideas might be overlooked. Your intellectual capacity and competence can be questioned Sometimes it might just be like having fewer professional opportunities. All of these different kinds of things, the comments that are made, racial slurs, baffling comments about related to your culture, ultimately tied to your ethnicity. All of these things, it could be a joke. It could be a comment about your hair, whatever it might be. All of these things where you think about what is happening in the day to day, all of these things are contributing to the problem. So how, like, you know, I think I think you made such a great point, Sam, is the sense that we've, yeah, we're talking about some of the really big points that we probably more, most people know more about, but it's these smaller things. And I truly believe that the smaller elements, as you mentioned, lead to the greater elements, right? Mm-hmm. Like they add up over time and they can still impact you just as much as those bigger issues or bigger mm-hmm. moments, right? Mm-hmm. So you've given a couple of examples. Are there any other examples that you can share of how they may show up on a, on a day-to-day perspective outside oh of gosh. maybe work? Um, <laughs> That's probably think, a big question. <laughs> I mean, even just like personally when you're shopping, 
when you're shopping, you could be in a store um, and perhaps you are not treated the same as other patrons, other customers. The service that you're given is less. The attention that you're given could be less or it could be more in terms of you might you might look suspicious um, just because you're a person of color. You might be followed in a store. Um, and even just like people, just the rudeness that you might encounter sometimes, even in your commute, um, just like the looks and the stares, all of these things that I think, I don't want to say it makes it difficult, but it, you know, it can take a toll. I think even in conversations, you can be out in social settings, um, and, you know, depending on what the conversation is, sometimes you're engaging in a conversation around politics um, or just something else in current events. And, you know, you have to listen to the comments that are being made, sometimes the judgments being passed on people of color um, and things being said without it being second guessed or any additional thought being put into it. Just because I think sometimes people feel so comfortable and so used to being able to say these things that it just, it rolls off, rolls off the tongue. Um, mm. So even like, you know, it comes up in social settings also. Mm. Do you find in those type of situations that you find yourself overcompensating? Um, or have some, you gotten to a place or maybe previously? Sometimes I think it really depends on the situation. Um, You know, there are times where I have been to functions of friends where I was the only person of color and like no one would speak to me. Um, And, you know, this is 2019. So what? Are you kidding? So there are times where that has happened. Um, There are times where even that, you know, again, it depends on the situation. You can go out to a restaurant. There could be other tables around you, but maybe you are the only table that has patrons of color and you are the last one to be served, the last one to be waited on. Sometimes you are seated in the back, although there's plenty of seating in the front. Um, and so it's just, you know, all of these like different kinds of things in the day to day. And sometimes you address it. Um, sometimes mm. you let it go. You know, it just, it really depends on the situation. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I certainly have found myself here many times, um, even as a student, I just finished grad school. So I was an an adult student. Um, but even as a student, you know, sometimes you find yourself sitting in class and having to battle certain comments and really having to stick up and defend yourself, um, in terms of when you're discussing things. I remember there was one instance where we were just, we were talking about social media and some of the different movements that were happening some of the hashtags being used, Black Lives Matter, um, Mm. Black Girl Magic, Black Boy Joy, and someone said that they didn't see the purpose in those hashtags because it wasn't actually tied to a movement. Um, And you know, for me, I use the hashtag Black Girl Magic all the time. Um, And so it is, while maybe there is not, there's not like a headquarters or whatever it might be that you can go to, um, being able to use like those kinds of hashtags in many ways. And for a lot of people, it's a form of activism. It's a form of pride. It's a way of saying I am here, I am black and I am proud. 
I am beautiful. I am smart. I am strong. And so it's more than a hashtag. Um, you know, I think in a lot of ways that like those are, that's how people, that's how we're combating inequality. Even something as small as beginning to shift the perception in the way people of color are viewed and the way that we have been a seen ourselves and in some instances have been forced to see ourselves as inferior for so long and just not allowing that to be the case anymore. Oh, you just literally gave me chills when you were talking about that. And I just listening to you and just like even hearing in your voice how passionate you are about it, but also not hiding who you are and standing up for you, what you believe in, like that is incredible. And I think everybody should feel, have the ability to feel like you are right now. Yeah. I mean, that is my wish for everyone. Um, that's my wish for everyone. Um, and, you know, and again, like just going back to a point made early on, it is, you know, it's hard. I think it can, it takes a lot to A, when you see these things to just call it out, to share when you recognize that these kinds of like inequalities, which are racially, ethically motivated are happening to A, be able to call that out and then to recognize when it's just inappropriate and to feel, I think, I don't want to say comfortable because it's never, it's never comfortable, but to feel confident enough to say, actually, that was inappropriate or actually that made me feel X, Y, and Z of a way. Mm. Or this is why you can't say that. This is why you can't do those kinds of things. Um, and I just think that, you know, my wish is for everyone to get there because again, while there are people who are very like blatantly racist, there are are also people who they don't know. Mm. They don't have a clue as to something that they're saying is wrong or offensive. Perhaps they've been in environments where there are other people who have also joined in on those kinds of conversations and have supported that kind of behavior. So there are people who, again, they just, they don't know. And since they have never been exposed to people of color or someone who can even just correct the assumption, the myth or whatever it might be. Sometimes they don't know. Um, and it's just a matter of a conversation and saying, you know, actually I felt offended when you said this, this is why culturally there's a history of X, Y, and Z. So it would be great if we didn't use this term anymore. And, you know, I do it all the time. Mm. I do it all the time. Um, and, you know, again, like, it's hard, but I feel like that is just, those are the kinds of conversations that have to happen. Mm, ignorance is bliss, right? And I think that's why, mm -hmm. why a lot of people choose not to, well, they just don't even know, as you mentioned. So you've given a couple of tips, um, Sam, in regards to, you know, calling people out or just even not in a negative way, but just to help people to understand, you know, what are some other steps people can take to whether it's to build more awareness or show support uh, so that I think this becomes a bigger conversation? I think in terms, I think building awareness is key just as far as it being like what it's actually like to navigate this landscape and by this landscape, I mean this life 
um, mm-hmm. as a person of color. Um, so A, awareness. And I think be an ally, right? And that doesn't mean like be on the front lines and all of that, but be an ally. So what that means is put on your understanding hat. If there is something that is happening, maybe from a current event standpoint, a social impact standpoint, if there's something that's happening, be aware and understand what the implications of that and understand the outcomes and things like that. And just try to have your eyes open and figure out like, how can I help in this situation? How can I be an ally in this situation? Um, And I think just the big thing is, I feel like there's so many ways to go about it in terms of like, how can people help Um, educate, do the best you can to educate other people around equity and around injustice because sometimes injustice shows up in ways that are not so obvious and Mm. so again when you see it call it out even if it's a friend or even in a professional setting you know you can and a good example of this is sometimes when it comes to hair right you may I have big hair sometimes I'll change my hair I might come in with a different hairstyle it's not meant for in a meeting for it to be like this fixation and a thousand questions over my hair, you know, because that's, it's inappropriate and it's offensive. Um, mm. And so if, you know, I'm just one person and if there are eight other people at the table, it's okay for somebody else to say that was inappropriate. So it's just like those kinds of situations, you know, even being able to recognize Maybe you, I don't, maybe it's at a team level. Maybe there's no diversity in your team. Ask your manager about it. Mm. Ask your manager about it. Maybe socially there's something happening and just not, not being able, being afraid to like bring those points up. And I think again, like understanding a different perspective than what one might be used to is just so helpful. So, so helpful. Mm. Oh, I can just already, like, just from having this conversation with you today, I've already had so many light bulb moments about, you know, ways that I can just be more aware, but Mm -hmm. I love that term that you used, which was being an ally. I think that that's the most important thing because sometimes, um, you know, issues, whether they're around equity or um, politics or, you know, the environment, sometimes it can feel really overwhelming. It's like, well, mm-hmm. what can little old me do to actually help to impact mm-hmm. change? And I think rather than think so big, sometimes it can be just in your everyday environments that you can actually start to make some change mm-hmm. and that will create a ripple effect in the world. Mm-hmm. And I would also say, you know, there is such... I think there's almost kind of this like notion of unbotheredness that floats throughout, I don't want to say the world, but that exists in our society, society, right? So it's like, you know, this one thing, it doesn't affect me. It doesn't apply to me. So I don't care. Let's shake that. Cause that, mm. I think just the mere existence of that saying, you know, it doesn't affect me. It doesn't impact me. So I don't care. That is not Okay. You know, the same way that I cared about the church in South Carolina that was attacked, I also care about the synagogues and the mosques 
that are being attacked because people are choosing to worship in their faith and religion of choice. That bothers me. Mm. The same way I am bothered by, you know, human trafficking, sex trafficking in other countries, just because it's not here, it doesn't mean that it's not on my heart ever. It bothers me because nonetheless, these are still human beings. And so I think just the fact of like people, because everybody is caught up in this, like living my best life. Right. Um, Yeah. But like, let that go for a second, because we all know that living your best life does not always mean that things are the best that they can be. It may just mean that you're doing the best that you can. Um, and when you look at and look at the world from that same standpoint, so it's just like letting go of this notion of unbotheredness. That's not my problem. A problem for one is a problem for all. And I know mm-hmm. that that is like cheesy and it sounds cliche, um, but you know it's true. I feel like that is what makes us human. That is what bands us together. So even if it, you know, you feel like what are like tangible things that I can actually do to help and to contribute? Sometimes it is just a matter of hearing someone out, listening to a story that's different from your experiences and your background. Ask someone who's different from you. Ask them about their story. Ask them about their journey to get to that point. Oh, I just... I absolutely love that. It's like just asking the questions and just connecting with somebody else. And it's really interesting that you share, you shared that about, you know, looking at it, you know, not being a bystander, right, to your life Mm -hmm. or everybody else's. Because, you know, when I started my business, I just wanted, I was looking at from a really small scale perspective. And as my business has started to grow and evolve and, you know, I've really started to work more towards my North Star. Mm-hmm. I was having a conversation with a friend in the weekend and she was asking me some questions about why I was doing what I was doing and what was my vision for Bound for Beauty like longer term. And, you know, it's actually become bigger than me now. Like in the mm-hmm. beginning, it was just me wanting to start to impact on a one-to-one basis. But the dreams I have for my business are really grand. And the reason why is I want to be able to not only empower women, I want to do that on a larger scale, but I want to get to a place in my life where I have the tools and the resources to actually help people that don't necessarily have the opportunity to work with a coach or they might be in an area where they don't have those resources on tap that I could then go out there and impact change with women in those areas and give them the tools and the confidence and the certainty and that everything that I can do so that that can then create a ripple effect for them in their life and that's it's been a really interesting mindset shift for me, and I really I can't even pinpoint when it happened, but it's been a growing dream of mine to go, how can I take this to another level and mm-hmm. then get this to a place where I can give my time and my resources and my skills for free to somebody mm-hmm. that needs them more than I do. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, is just, that is such a healthy perspective And I think it's life-changing in so many ways, just because it helps you look at everything as being bigger outside of yourself, you know? So it's like your business is not just for you. You're doing this to serve other people. Um, And, you know, Mm -hmm. I think, I think that's amazing. And I think ultimately being, being a voice for people when they don't have it. hundred, hundred percent. And it's, 
it's so interesting. I actually, oh, I'm getting like a little teary talking about it, but it's like, it's like these conversations, you know, they just start with a conversation like between you and I, but these become, become like, you know, really big light bulb moments or mind shifts, set shifts for other people. And I think that we can all impact change. And I think we're all on this planet and, you know, I'm going to put my happy hat on for a moment mm-hmm. where I think we're on this planet to do really big things. And it's up to us whether we choose if we want to impact the world or not. Yes, absolutely. Um, and kind of my last little plug um, that I will make in terms of just ways that people could build support, check out different events, different, panel, different panels that are happening um, from a lot of like cultural institutions, the Schomburg, uh, Oh, that's such a good conversation. Thank you so much for having me, Christy. Uh, thank you so much for not only sharing your incredible insights with the world, but also to being so open and honest, but also not just allowing me to hold space for you, but you also were holding space for me as I started to explore some of these big questions that I probably haven't even asked before. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. If you like what you hear, then please rate, review, and subscribe where you love to listen. Or you can connect with me via social at Bound for Beauty. And that's beauty with an E. I'll see you next time.